0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of the Illusion Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Martin Simpson, Jacqueline Amid, Rob Cook, and Ian Thompson-Shrump to uh, discuss cyber resilience. Before we delve into the topic in a bit more detail, uh, just run around the room with some introductions. Martin, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Martin Simpson. I'm a principal with uh, 324 Cybersecurity Consultancy, uh, which has recently been bought by. Uh, by Node4, so exciting times, uh, background in um, technology risk management uh, both within industry with GE uh, and then uh, professional services, uh, Big 4, Deloitte, PwC uh, and then latterly um, a company called Alex Partners. Um, but glad to be here, Look forward to the conversation. Uh,
2: Rob? You? Yeah, hi folks, I'm uh, Rob Cook. Uh, I'm a independent uh, operational resilience co- uh, consultant. Um, my background is across the finance industry. Uh, Predominantly just implementing uh, defining strategies around operational resilience, disaster recovery, business continuity.
3: Shrub, Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Shkil Lanwad. I'm founder and CEO of Cyber Warfare Academy. Uh, in addition, I provide interim CISO uh, services to various organizations. So currently, I'm engaged with uh, Knopf. Uh, and with the arrival of their CISO, I'm, uh, I've moved more towards the advisory. Uh, CISO services uh, under the same organization.
4: Finally, Ian, come to you. Hi, everyone. I'm a CISO for Cyjax, as well as a CTO for a managed service provider back in Canada. I'm looking really forward to the conversation today. Before we jump back into
5: today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Wallace. Qualys are pioneers and leading providers of disruptive cloud-based security, compliance, and IT solutions. They've got a global footprint with over 10,000 subscription customers, and we're thrilled to have their support as we tackle the ever-changing challenges in cybersecurity together. So what does Qualys do? Well, they help organizations like yours streamline and consolidate their security and compliance solutions onto a single platform. We're talking about greater agility, better business outcomes, and better cost efficiency. Qualys isn't just another security platform though. With just a single agent, Qualys can continuously deliver the security intelligence your business needs. It enables you to automate the full spectrum of auditing, compliance, and protection for your IT systems and web applications, regardless of where they are be it on-prem, in the cloud, or even on mobile devices. So if you're interested in managing and reducing your cyber risk in a speedier, scalable, and more measurable way, head over to qualis.com to learn more. Okay, now we're all
0: introduced, uh, let's move on to the topic. So you you've got a question or statement around cyber resilience, uh, as usual, we'll work around the room asking each of you to pose a question and the reasons behind it. Each of you have an opportunity to give your take on the situation, um, so we'll get through these. we will uh, get off. We'll start with you.
4: All right. So my question was really around where, obviously, the effects of global pli- climate change are impactful in terms of organizational resilience, be it supply chain, or if you happen to be in a low-lying area that's suddenly become uh, going to be flooding. Do you guys feel that this risk, which is really more of a of uh, a climate change and supply chain risk is now landing into IT and IT resilience.
1: Jim, uh, Martin, could you? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great question, and obviously super topical was Southern Europe's uh, ba- baking in forty degree heat and the US is is roasting as well. So, so I think uh, I think it's one of those questions that actually um, most organizations, in my experience. Deal with you know, environmental controls in a standard way, right? So they've got they've got their de- their own data centers. It sort of falls into physical and environmental security. Um, I I think you know for me a, a proactive re- a proactive approach is absolutely essential here, and you need to make sure that you posture your your defensive position, if that's the right phrase, based on the real risks. And I think you know you can draw a lot from the expectations around operational uh, operational resilience, around understanding, well, what's important to you? What do you do in your business that's important? How do you enable those important business services? What are those technical assets? Are they physical? Are they virtual? Where are they physically? And then you know, effectively build, look at the scenarios around what could cause disruption to those assets? What could stop them from working? And you know, your example of being on a low level, you know, a floodplain, you know, yeah, that's one. But look at the, in the current situation, the demand for electricity, right? What's the likelihood of significant brownouts over large parts of um, of, of, of Southern Europe or, or the US or wherever? I think that's a growing threat. Do you really have the reserves in power supplies to keep data centers going? What does that really mean in terms of if you've gone to a cloud strategy? So, you know, if you've gone for the kind of bargain basement option, where a lot of people will say cloud is inherently resilient is it really if you've got a bunch of data centers kind of falling over um you know across a broad geographical space so so i think you know to quickly summarize i we've kind of spoken for a few minutes but but it's a subject that i'm really interested in and and love to hear everyone else's thoughts i think you've got to be proactive you've got to think about scenarios you've got to test yourselves against those scenarios and think outside the box. I you know, I think the flood and fire scenarios have probably been quite well tested. What about a loss of power? What if your people can't get to the office because of floods or fires? Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll, I'll conclude there and, and love to hear what everyone else says.
2: Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Rob, up to you. Yeah, cheers. Thank you. And, and I totally echo exactly what Martin just said. Um, understanding your business service is, is absolutely critical. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And... If you can understand your business uh, your business service, you can understand your mapping. If you understand your mapping, then you can define what you need to work from there. Because if your mapping includes uh, cloud providers, third-party providers that you are dependent on, you need to understand that they're also going to be resilient in that sense. Um, you might have mentioned there is the, the, the heat impacts as well. Data centers in hot areas, I, I can probably name two or three incidents that I'm aware of, that data centers have failed because of heat, either fires or just overheating and cooling systems failing that have shut down cloud-based software solutions and SaaS solutions. As a company, you you expect to buy this product from your third party and you expect them to deal with that resilience. But what happens if that then fails? Are, they, is, are you got an alternative solution? What is your backup plan if your third party then fails? And I think that is something that is very underestimated. Um, so, yeah, similar to what Martin was saying, really, was that um, that you've got to consider these things. You've got to consider your people as well. I know that steps are kind of outside that cyber resilience piece, but it still is very impactful. If you've got people that live in Bristol and Bristol floods, then are your people actually safe and able to do the job? Or are they actually more concerned, and quite rightly so, with their families and their livelihoods? And if they are more concerned with that, who is your alternative? Who is your backup? For that person and for that role, because they could be your CISO, they could be somebody extremely critical uh, critical to your business. And if they're not able to support you or deliver the responses that you need, then you're going to have an issue there. So that it, it, it's that comes up full circle. You've got to understand what your people risks are, as well as your third party and own I mean, service risks are. Sure.
3: Skill comes in. Yeah. So. I think pretty much all, all of the key areas have been covered by other colleagues. Uh, but just to add that, um, we we must also focus on testing the, the controls. So so whatever we put in place, it should be thoroughly tested. And I think that is one of the key areas where we all struggle because it is disruptive to the business. It is quite expensive to test every control. And also the outcomes are not always favorable. So there is that fear factor as well that have we done the groundwork right and what are we going to find out? Um, so it is finding that right balance, I would say, would become key. In addition to what Ian uh, uh, has asked and then Martin and, and Loeb has commented on.
4: Okay. okay. Are there anything- no, I just think it was really great to to hear these different perspectives and stuff like that because I truly believe that you know this is probably the climatological impacts of global climate change are going to be something that's going to be uh an issue for not only the business resilience but also the cyber component of it and it's also i think interesting to put this uh into the hands of the various threat actors as those countries come under increasing environmental stress it's highly likely that we'll see more geopolitical instability um as a result which will in which will now have the effect of making those cyber protagonist nations uh, you know, come after to, you know, I guess misery loves company, uh, company is, is sort of the the takeaway. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for the for you guys' insight. I truly appreciate it. Stuff.
0: Okay, Rob, we'll uh, come to you next for your question. Yeah, okay, great. Thank you. Um,
2: so yeah, my question, similarly linked to be fair to, to Ian's there, was it's around the concentration risk of suppliers uh, and, and especially with cloud services. So it's more around, Uh, as as more and more companies are moving to cloud services and with the current limited number of, uh, should should we say recognized cloud providers that companies want to invest with, um, do you think there's actually a significant concentration risk? And while that is uh, from a security point uh, extremely good, do you feel that over time, uh, cyber attacks will prevail with their security into these uh, cloud providers and potentially take one of these companies down. Um, We we can obviously name a few straight off the top of our heads here, but I'm concerned here that as more and more companies are moving to these single entities or these cloud providers, if those cloud providers are attacked, if those cloud providers have incidents like you just mentioned, Ian, with the heat and the flooding, what happens? What do we do as a business? And how do we have a significant risk where many industries could be impacted? Over to you guys.
3: Thanks Rob. Uh, Sakel, come to you. Um, so I, to the way I, I've been uh, looking at the, uh, the, the landscape, I think that that risk has been realized. I think there is a significant amount of concentration uh, with the three big cloud providers, namely Microsoft, Google, and Amazon. And I think even if we expand that list, uh, maybe make the top 10, we will very easily find out that there might be hardly 10 major players which are running the entire show now. Yeah. Um, so definitely that risk is there and, and lots need to be done. Um, and nobody seems to have the answer, right? So uh, we we have so far struggled with the with the simple questions that what is their responsibility and what is our responsibility? And I think the industry is now having a consensus in terms of that they own the platform and we own the service that runs on the platform, but still those lines are being defined and then how to deal with those risks. So definitely, I think the, the risk is very much real. It is very much realized and we need to do something about it. Um, honestly speaking, nobody seems to have the full answer of what needs to be done there, right? Um, the other thing in response to that, I think it's, it's not because of the risk, what what I'm going to say next? I think it is more of a commercially uh, influenced decision that lots of companies are now deciding to come out of those cloud providers. And I would love to say that they they have realized the can and this decision is this based, but it is not. It is mainly commercially driven because the more you put on cloud, the the cost initially it looks like a very nice panacea but the costs are spiraling out of control. So probably the, the, the commercial side is again winning the argument and then people are trying to at least find a balance between what to put on cloud and what they can still manage outside the cloud just to have that better financial proposition. So I would love to see a scenario where organizations are making those decisions based on the risk profile rather than just the,
4: the commercial side. Yes, yeah. Ian, go to you. Oh, boy, do I have lots to talk about on this one. Hey, I'm going to go quickly. So, Rob, the first part of your question, Rob, is you are not alone in your thoughts. So, here in the U.K., Ofcom is looking into the cloud service provider area and is calling out what, in European and U.K. terms, is potentially antitrust issues with the concentration of these services. In the United States, the SEC put up a little trial balloon, you know, which is essentially like, hey, does anyone have any comments about the cloud ecosystem? And they got a blasting letter from uh, Google asking the very question about that we've all been asking in cybersecurity since the dawn of time. How does the Microsoft licensing model work? in terms of like your software and your, um, and your email when it comes to cloud and cloud storage. And it's not easy to understand at all. And, and I think one of the final points um, that I just want to kind of add on to that one was the fact that anyone that starts down the road of OneDrive and moving traditional shared drives into um, SharePoint online will find that they end up with a horrendous bill in Azure due to the retention policies that Microsoft has put in place. Um, My conspiracy theory on this is that Microsoft are evil geniuses because they recognize a silo between IT management and data management in that IT always says to the business, oh, you should manage your data. They manage their data by asking for more hard drive space um, ad infinitum And Microsoft has managed to monetize that bad data management practice into a money-making ATM machine like you've never seen before. Now, finally, in terms of the threat actors, well, today a friend of mine made the comment that WhatsApp basically went down here in the UK. I think it was almost a global outage from what I understand, which absolutely paralyzed the entire hospital system because no one could communicate anymore. This is a really interesting ecosystem story where business resilience now comes back and says, what happens if Teams doesn't work? Well, we're pretty used to Teams not working on a general basis, at least being really difficult uh, to get into meetings. But this is a reality of this cloud ecosystem that we're in. And you're 100% right. If I was a hacking crew my targets would not be endpoints within the environment anymore. It would be the poorly secured cloud services, those storage buckets that are indexed um, at gray hat warfare that have oodles and oodles and oodles of unprotected data. And mostly because the other um, panopticon, if you will, that we've built is the idea that IT is incentivized to deliver and security is incentivized to secure. But if security doesn't know about it, they can't interrupt the IT delivery. So we get the disabling of security features until it works problem. That um, Then later on is discovered, oh look, oodles and oodles of data. And then one final caveat, cause I have to throw this in there. I'm increasingly concerned about the lack of, of transparency when it comes to service outages from Microsoft, especially especially when they flat out deny that it was anonymous Sudan with denial of service attacks and try to suggest that it was, oh, it was a configuration issue that we had. I think service providers in order to continue to build our trust have to be far more transparent when, when holes in their infrastructure are discovered and when they fail us in terms of delivering the services that they've uh, promised to provide. So actually us Finally, I'm going to you about them.
0: And,
1: all right, so so I think let's just deal with these one one by a time. So do I think there's significant concentration risk? That yes, uh, yes, I think there is. I think we would agree agreed on that. Um, I guess then the question is, so what? So I think that's what organisations need to think about is, you know, yes, there's a risk, but what's the impact and what's the likelihood, right? So um, and then when you talk about the likelihood, what are we most worried about? So are we talking about those services just being turned off, right? Big denial of service attack, they're no longer there. You know, that's a pretty pretty catastrophic scenario is it possible yes absolutely you know is it more likely to happen in an environment of a you know heightened geopolitical tension and a nation state actor you know bringing down an an, an aws or an azure yeah you know, that's probably the scenario that i could i could foresee that would be a realistic threat and then as a, as an organization you probably need to think about, you know, are there are there other things to worry about if we're on the verge of a, you know, a global a global conflict? Um, I then think, you know, in picking back on the thread of kind of operational resilience and and also leaning a bit towards DORA, which is coming down the line for those organisations, those regulated organisations operating in Europe or dependent on uh, ICT providers in, in in Europe itself, is the idea of extraction or substitution. So if you're dependent on cloud service provider X. And they are unavailable you're unlikely to substitute the services they provide for cloud services provider why or you know are you able to extract those services over time if if you want to use doors language so so i think yeah you know, I, I think it's a necessary evil frankly uh, i i loved shaquille's point about the um, commercial conversation i mean five years ago maybe a little little longer you know you talk to a te- technology leader's uh, and they were all very excited about how many millions of dollars they could save by closing down data centers and shutting, you know, getting rid of tin and wire. Um, and no one, I remember being quite a lonely voice, uh, kind of going, well, what about the risk? Is this secure? Who owns the data? Where does the data go? What happens if there's an incident? What are the roles and responsibilities? Who's going to do what? Who's listening for the fire bell when it rings, right? Quiet button. Um, uh, we don't uh, want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, shut up. Do you still want your job? Uh, so, um, so I, I think, you know, now that, that we've caught up with that, right? And some of that again has been driven predominantly through financial services because of the extended the regulated extended enterprise or right? extended perimeter. So that that makes a lot of sense. Um and then finally I think you know the the final question about the the the, the cyber attack on you know and, and it will bring down a company. I guess for me, I think organizations need to think about what do they see as the threat, right? So I I, I ask these questions. Whenever I sit with senior leadership is what are you most worried about? Are you worried about me stopping your business? Right. So are the big bang? Are you worried about me stealing your stuff? Or are you worried about me embarrassing you? Usually one and two result in three anyway, but it's the stealing your stuff bit that I always get very worried about because I might not do that in a noisy way. Right. And there was a case a few years ago, a uh, previous firm of mine, uh, we, we called it um, we call project cloud hopper and a nation state actor got into a certain MSP and effectively hopped between clouds collecting data right so and they were able to do that for an extended period of time. Now they didn't do it in a big clumsy way so we didn't set the bells and whistles off so no one knew they were there. So I think again it depends on the answer depends really on your own risk appetite as an organization If you go into the cloud, Depend on what cloud provider you choose. You know, you know there's a risk because you've got a limited set of options. Should the worst case happen, you need to make sure that you've got clarity on the roles and responsibilities between you and that service provider. Don't abdicate responsibility for managing the platforms and your services that are wrapped up in that cloud, that cloud wrapper. You know, and 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 be be ready. You know, be think about what's important to you. You know, if if it stopped, does that mean my business dies? If they steal my stuff, does that mean my business dies?
2: Right. Uh, no, just some really good comments there. As I say I totally agree with Shaquille there about but no, no solution has really been kind of defined yet. There's, there's so many options out there and, and I don't think we know the answer. Uh, and as Ian alluded to as well, the Bank of England, PRA and FCA in the UK are currently at discussion phase for the critical third party paper which is looking around that concentration risk, it's not going to become a cons- consultation paper until later this year. So therefore, it's not going to become a regulation for probably another one or maybe two more years. Yeah. So this decision is is all be, being looked at. is still a dis- some time away before companies have to be regu- regulated against this and have to be meeting those metrics. So I think there's will be some decisions and I'm hoping that the regulators will be able to step in and look after the smaller guy that doesn't necessarily have that powerful voice, but at that same time, there's a, a significant risk there that one one business goes down, you could lose a handful across the same industry. So we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. But yes, thank you very much, Jen.
3: That was a great response. Sure. Yes, Keel, welcome to you. Why, thank you. So, so the question I came up with was about uh, the the metrics and the measurement of resiliency. So the question reads, how does the existing security metrics and KPIs support the case for developing a robust cyber resiliency scoring system? So is is, is that enough context or do you guys want me to explain it where, where I'm coming from? If before you open up the conversation, I, I'll I'll do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. So, so the thing is that uh, uh, in order to measure security, we have all been uh, in these kind of conversations that what are the right metrics to measure and um, I'm I'm very glad that uh, more and more CISOs are talking more about return on investment, or as they call it in Germany, return on security investment. To Rosie. it's it's a strange term, but but that's what they use there. Um, so, what I've I've seen even myself struggle with the concept of how do you explain how that materializes at the board level, for example. So I would I would still shy away from having a conversation at at the security metrics level when you present anything in that context to the board. So I think there would be more focus and um, and in understanding that how resilient have we become or in order to quote Nasim Talley, for example, how anti-fragile the organization is with all those millions going into security and then even so in IT, right? So I, I wanted to use the collective brain of this group to 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 share ideas that have you guys seen anything moving in that direction where we can say, okay, yeah, this is how we define resilience or this is how we
4: measure resilience. That's true yeah welcome to you all right i'll 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 kick this off and i'm i'm not a super metrics api guy right in fact you know i i always believe the only kpi that matters is whether or not you're breached um but but i think i think what we need to do is the what you think can happen versus what the actual testing and data presents is the most important thing. So for instance, as an example for resiliency, let's talk about disaster recovery. Until you test your disaster recovery, you kind of have no place in promising the business that you can return services um, and bring things back up in a particular time period, right? You can do a best guess, but you know, I've been in a position where, where backup has failed and you're now trying to restore uh, a hypervisor over a USB 2 interface that's half a terabyte in size. That's not something you wanna make anyone do, um, ever, uh, because it'll take a really long time to get done. So so I think part of the EPI discussion really has to be like, let's do some testing, let's look at the industry standards, let's look at you know our industry vertical Um, And and figure out kind of what what reasonable looks like. I won't even mention what good looks like because I don't believe good exists. I've been in this business for 35 years and I haven't seen good ever. I've seen better. Um, I don't seen worse, but, um, you know, so part of that is a discussion on, you know, what resources do you have? What are the capabilities that you think can happen? And then some data to suggest that those capabilities were a wild ass guess or are actually within the realm of the possible. Right. And then I think lastly, um, in terms of like art of your resilience strategy, I always like to say is to buy time to get the actual thing functional again, right? So as a great example, parts on hand for particular critical pieces of infrastructure, like especially in the OT world, if you have one Rockwell controller and that's your only Rockwell controller, I will tell you now that your processes of re- recovery will be dependent on whether or not a courier can get you one, that's enough. And we all know, we've all had the dbd experiences of yeah it was delivered but we have no idea where it went to and who signed for it right we don't need that agony of the unknown so i think part of that whole resiliency story is like okay if it breaks how long will it take to fix and what can we do proactively going back to martin's uh, drum that he hammered really really hard like a snare drum at a kid rock concert about resiliency is about being prepared uh and being proactive So I think that KPI should be really important. Measuring the amount of phishing emails that people clicked on, I don't necessarily think that's something that the board level you want to put into your PowerPoint deck. But maybe um, the number of days you've gone without, uh, without detecting indications of compromise might be something that they're interested in from the business management side. Because they're, they're only looking in the six minutes that you get at a board meeting, really, to talk about cyber in terms of a risk. The only thing they really care about is, are we secure or not? And you need to be able to provide them some metrics that indicate that you're above the waterline. Um, and and really like draw it in a picture so that you can get through to the next thing because your busy executives do not care what the firewall is doing. They want to know that it's part of their security and is providing a defense against you know the attack of the day. And then I think the last piece that I'll add is have some capacity as a cybersecurity leader to deal with what I like to call the crazy. Yeah, an executive calls you and says, we need zero trust. Go out to the market and find zero trust for me because I think it's a good idea. Click, right? Um, you're going to have to have some capacity to be able to realistically say, well, first of all, it's not a solution. It's a framework. And it's you know something that we might be able to build into our digital transformation um, processes. But at the end of the day, you have to be prepared to deal with those type of questions in a customer service friendly way. Because... Okay. Part of the resilience is your own personal resilience. The last thing you want to do is not have information for the business because you're either going to find someone that does have it or turn on you when you're in a crisis and you need their support, right? It's like everyone knows what happens if you're going to the shower in prison and somebody has something sharpened. That will be the opportunity they're going to stab you. So, So I think... I think from that perspective of it then, and I tried to make this a humorous topic a bit, but the KPI discussion has to be set in some realistic, real world and be supported with some data. And I'm going to let others that are far more versed in this contribute. (laughs) That's it. Uh, Have Martin come to you? Yeah, I think I'm probably somewhere in the
1: middle. I'm always a bit skeptical of metrics, but I spent my formative years of my career at GE and, and it was a mantra of, you know, what, I'm a recovering Six Sigma black belt, uh, which might put some context into this. So, you know, so I was always encouraged to take the view that what gets measured gets managed and what gets managed gets improved. Now, with the additional context you added there, Shaquille, I have sort of just been making notes and changed, I think, what my original tweaked my original answer slightly. Uh, and, and I think you know, for me, it comes up to what's what's the appetite. So you need to agree your appetite statements at the top of the house, right? So what's the risk strategy look like? What's the what's the risk appetite? And you have a you know a level one risk appetite in relation to technology, and that might break down into you know sub statements in relation to cyber. I tend to always be drawn to talking about classic confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Have a meaningful conversation with senior execs about well, what what's confidentiality mean to you? What's tolerable in in the sense of you know, reputational impact, financial impact, um, an operational impact. There's there's you know, those sort of dimensions as well, and then test. And then I think, you know, again, not to sort of keep banging the drum too much about about resilience, but it, Dora talked. One of the pillars of Dora is is looking at at testing, and then you know also looking at incidents, previous incidents. So is there a way? And I don't know the answers to this if you were to cast the net backwards, I think this is a fundamental issue with everything that we do, because we're always so busy. We're catching the last, the the current, the current disaster, rather than learning, looking back at what lessons we can learn. But could you look at retrospective metrics around how other incidents occurred? Were you able to withstand, absorb and recover from those incidents, you know, with minimal disruption to your, to your customers? And, and then, you know, and then, are those metrics getting better as your resilience or your resiliency improves? That's going to require some patience to to do that data collection. Um, And I think, you know, my final sort of point on this is, or two points really is, is I'm, and this is where I kind of agree with Ian, metrics that look in the rearview mirror are of limited value and are probably only going to support the case for you to be fired as a CISO. I think you need to have a balance of, yeah, it's great to learn the lessons from the past, but I also need to know need to know where where I'm going. So those metrics need to be forward looking, and they also need to be be actionable. And my my final point is in relation to you know, as you're le- as those metrics signpost the direction of travel that you're going on, you should agree as part of your appetite conversations the triggers, right? So you don't want to get to the you don't want to get to your appetite point and then you're over the line and everyone's upset, you know. You don't want there's a trigger point where you go, right, this is we're now over our trigger threshold. We need to take action or we're going to breach our appetite. Right. And I think that's a that's a much more constructive board level conversation. Because I don't think I've talked about firewalls or intrusion detection or seam or so at any point there. Right. Then beneath your appetite statements, I've just finished a piece of work with a client recently. We did exactly this. Under each of your appetite statements, you then have a population of metrics and submetrics that eventually roll up to give you that red, amber, green status. But underneath it, you know, we want to maintain confidentiality. Well, how do you maintain confidentiality? You make sure your users are trained, you patch, you scan for vulnerability, da, 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 you know, so you have all these metrics that build up the picture. So hopefully that was that was uh, a
2: good enough answer, Shaquille. Good question.
1: Mm.
2: And Rob can Jim? yeah so uh, to be fair i think the the, the gents have uh, have already kind of alluded to, to the most of it but i think for me the, the the main thing there is is as you say you you need to understand what that review looks like but you need to definitely make sure that you plan and you're building metrics around that future view as well so around the on the financial side uh, which is probably where my background is It's obviously all around the important business service at the moment. That's the buzzword. That's the thing that the regulators are asking us to look at. And they're wanting to look at impact tolerances of that end-to-end important business service. So your important business service may be made up of six or seven sub-services. Each of those sub-services, you would then have an RTO, an RPO, based on, uh, as Ian mentioned, your disaster recovery exercises and what you'd be looking at. But then how do you look at that impact tolerance as a whole? Do you run an exercise where you're taking down or or simulating a couple of incidents across that metric or across that important business service uh, scope? Or do you look at aggregating a lot of smaller disaster recovery exercises around single services and aggregate them up, say, naturally, logically, we have to bring this one up before we bring the second one up before we bring the third one up and aggregate is actually two plus five plus six and there's your total is that what you're looking at so understanding what that is and that's very key from a business point of view is understanding that mapping understanding how you're going to divide those metrics and understand your tolerances then you can go back to the board and say right i can give you a thousand metrics here but what is actually going to meet your risk appetite here what is actually going to be beneficial to you the regulators want to see a impact tolerance scenario but realistically, is an impact, uh, a full end-to-end scenario realistic? For most companies, it isn't. And although the regulators want to move us in that direction, I think you've still got to be able to say, hang on, we can't do a fully important business service exercise because we're operational. We can do it in sandbox or we can run chaos monkey in the background or we can we can uh, look at site uh, failed cyber attacks or, or previous incidents. But what can you actually look at that, gives you that confidence that that service is resilient. And it's very difficult uh, to look at it as that big piece. You've got to look at it at that smaller, more manageable bite-sized piece of look at a disaster recovery exercise, look at a single entity, and then aggregate them up and say, well, actually, by evidence here, we can recover A, B, and C in this order, and it looking at 12 hours. Or we could actually recover A and B simultaneously, because it's two different teams, but then C actually means we need teams from t- uh, from the service one. So we need to bring those, those guys back into the picture. So we aggregate that. As long as you understand that mapping, understand the people and the resources required to recover those exercises or those single services, then you can build that bigger picture. And then going back to that metrics point, Looking at failed cyber attacks, I, I'm not. I'm not a, a CISO. I'm not a security expert. I look at resilience, but I'm not a security expert. So I will defer to to the guys on the call. But what about failed cyber attacks? Is the way to evidence that you've had a DDoS attack that's failed? Is the way to evidence that somebody's tried to get into your system, a malicious actor, and they failed, or even an in internal uh, actor that has failed? Is the way to evidence those kind of incidents? If so. Bring those to the board because actually that's going to validate what you've got in place and show that actually, look, what we are investing in here is working because we've got this many failed incidents here that haven't manifested into something critical. And if they had manifested, think of the downtime you would have had. Think of the loss of data. Is your data actually recoverable? Is it immutable? If somebody gets into your system, they can get to your data or they can get to your tape libraries or whatever backup mechanisms you use and destroy the catalogs. You're pretty much unrecoverable at that point. So you need to make sure that you have those in a, 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 a mutable or in separate environments. And you've got to just look at that, that picture and build those blocks up. And it's very much, in my opinion, building the blocks up. You can give a thousand
3: metrics, but if you understand the blocks, then you can understand the bigger picture. Sure. Thank Anything Yeah, no. It's, it's been really helpful, and I've been taking notes while the the gents were speaking. I, I really uh, like the concept of um, the the only KPI that matters is that whether you were breached or not. So so thank you Ian for that. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and then further to that, that we maybe one of the KPIs for resilience to demonstrate resilience is that how many days we have been without detecting a compromise, and then linking that to to what Rob just said. I think then we can also say, if I can rephrase um, uh, the, the terminology, um, that how was the blast radius and how how much we were able to contain that. So that's what I got mainly from from what Rob, you were saying. So it is a massive paraphrasing, but I think that demonstration of, of how much blast radius we were able to reduce would be a very good uh, feedback. And then so for Martin, um, I really love the idea of of translating all the security metrics into the into the business metrics actually. So yeah, we are still talking about the same thing, but we are in, in your conversation, what you said, you you never mentioned security metrics even once, right? So we're only talking about what matters to the business. So so that was really great takeaway for me. So thank you very much, guys.
4: My my experience, mate, has always been that any report to your upper management is either a business case for improvement. Or assurance that the right decision has been made. And to be honest, from from my perspective, everything else is a bit, you know, like noise, right? So it comes back to the never show up with a problem, show up with a solution to a problem that no one even knows is a problem yet. Right? Get in front of get in front of the story, was which we used to be told all the time in my public affairs training course. But I think, you know, when you look at it that way. It's easy to take security metrics then and turn them into business metrics to support the business strategy. And the more you can do that will bring you more allies when it comes down to you know having to spend big money to fix big problems. But before they are brought to the attention of the organization by a free pen test by a nation state actor. Right. <laughs> so that's that's kind of how I like to approach it to get into that mindset of am I asking for money to improve something or am I assuring the business that what I have is adequate to provide a level of defense?
3: That's very interesting.
4: Thank you for the insight. OK, well, I'm finally, we'll come to you, Martin.
1: Sure. So thank you. So my question was around um, just seeking some some input from the panel on what key strategies or best practices have you seen? Uh, either in your current roles or, or elsewhere that can be Im- implemented that uh, to enhance cyber resilience and effectively protect against cyber threats.
3: Awesome. Uh, Shagil, welcome to you. Um, so I, I think we, we have discussed a, a number of those on, on this call. So I, I would try to refrain repeating those. I, I think one thing I would like to reiterate is that the The main thing to achieve resilience, what what we are trying to do in our organization is to create a habit of testing the the controls that we have put in place. So that for us, the the way we are trying to look at it is that it will demonstrate whether the existing controls are capable enough and then are they sufficient. And while testing them, it would highlight areas where we have either deficient controls or missing controls. So our our focus area, um, a very short answer to this question would be to to test what you have and then use that output to honestly review what is missing, what is deficient, and what can you do better. I will, will just, just stop there, really. That's good, thanks. Uh, Rob, you? Um, yeah,
2: so I think to be fair, um, simple answer is third parties. So every every one of us uh, through our cyber security will be dealing with third parties at some level, be it as uh, consultants that are working to support you, or companies that are providing support for various firewalls mechanisms, or even your, your, your telco companies that are supporting you down the line. What for me is is quite key is engaging those companies, getting those companies part of that solution, embracing them and bringing in their knowledge to work on a, 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 your problem. So when you're looking at a best practice, when you look at an exercise, how would you evidence your cyber resilience? Work with the third parties, work with those suppliers and ask them the question of what do they do? How can they support you by providing some evidence? How can they engage in, in participating in some exercises, run some desktop scenarios with them, get those kind of questions posed to them and see how they deal with it. Use their expertise and use their skills because by doing that, you're learning obviously what the limitations are of your own environment, you also actually identify what the limitations are of your providers. And then that kind of plays back to the earlier conversation around your concentration risk or your cloud service provider risks, understanding there of what actually are the pinch points, what is going to cause you that problem should should the worst happen. So for me it's definitely a case of of concerning yourself around that third party understand the mapping of your service understand the mapping of your your, your cyber security and then looking at the weak points outside of your own control and getting that engagement because if you you can manage your own teams you can manage internal support and exercises a thousand times over but you can't always have that engagement with your suppliers and third parties so if you engage them and work hard on that relationship then that means that they're going to be able to support you, and actually, when you call them and say, "Look, the worst has happened here; it's hit the fan, and we need to fix it," they're actually going to be more likely to support you because you've actually been engaged in that process with them. So, for me, so for me, uh, is critical cool to resilience. Okay. So,
4: sure. Ian, welcome to you. Okay, um, for me, it's all about relationship and expectation management. So, my first tip would be. Hitch your security train to the business transformation team, whatever that looks like. You're there to help and support that business trans- transformation because chances are they have a lot more money than you do. <laughs> and The best security of my mind is when you get somebody else to pay for it, right? The next is customer service focus on your team. They're approachable. Remember, every email that you don't return is an enemy that you've created right so institute that policy of we're customer service focused you know no matter what it is if it's a question about a home pc it's not above you to engage in a conversation with that user um work across the business so get to know the project management office the procurement people counsel's office sales and marketing so that you're part of the strategy conversations as much as possible what's bugging them what can you fix and then my last thing is remember You are not the stars on the stage of the organization. You are the crew, the lighting guys, the sound guys, the grips, all of the supporting cast. And as long as you keep all of the egos in check of your security team and become beloved and supported, I think naturally trust will be built. And in the words of Mike Thompson, a really great buddy of mine, security manager for years over at Zen, he says, trust is the everything. If you have trust, you can get a lot of things done in your organization and bring allies to the table. If that gets eroded, then that's what you need to work on. So that's sort of like the high level, how to make the security team more effective and prevent, you know, and, and get highly motivated people are going to be there for you when things, you know, come off the rails.
0: Excellent.
1: First stuff. anything about it, Martin? Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, I, I think it was it was interesting without kind of explicitly calling it out. I, I was sort of expecting a, an answer really around um, around those pillars of of, of DORA. So, the, so I realised I'd used the acronym earlier, and not all the listeners might be familiar with it. So, the Digital Operational Resilience Act that was came in in January this year, and uh, regulated businesses need to be compliant with by by 2025. And I think we've we've kind of hit most of those most of those pillars, right? So. Make sure you've got a good testing strategy. You know, share information, talk to other, talk to other people. Third-party risk is absolutely critical. So, um, so yeah, that I you, know, I, I think that was really, really helpful. And if you wrap that around risk management and robust governance, um, that, then yeah, you know, for me, that's probably probably the answer. So yeah, I I, I appreciate everyone's input. Thanks, thanks guys. Fantastic.
0: Okay. um, And yeah, I think that brings us to an end. So we shall uh, leave it there. Um, So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'll take this opportunity to thank Martin, Shaquille, Rob and Ian for providing their insights to the topic. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to get involved in a future podcast, uh, please do reach out to me on LinkedIn or drop me an email at robert.wall at evolutionjobs.co.uk. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.